Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one pen on a time. At the, on this episode, we have an interview with Corey Delagardia, the creator of the comic Another Day at the Office. This is Matt, and I'm joined by my co-host Noah. Hey there. Corey, uh, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Uh, before we get started, why don't you uh, give everybody a uh, short bio about yourself and a little bit about the comic. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys, for having me, first of all. It's really cool. Really appreciate it. Um, so my background is I've been doing podcasting and radio for uh, about three years now. And uh, I have a show called Another Day, uh, called Nerd Thug Radio. And from that, we cover pop culture and we have a good time ourselves. And from that, uh, I grew up loving comic books and always wanting to be involved in it. And it more and more and more became like, well, I've got to make my own. Like, I just have to. And so that led to another day at the office, which is uh, it's a comedy. It's about a cop in a city full of superheroes and just kind of how he has to sort of deal with sort of the, the fact that when you're a human, there's, there's limits to what you can do. And you're next to these people who can literally do anything and you're supposed to be the guy who does the job, but really they're doing it. Hmm. So was this an idea that you've been sitting on for, for a long time or is this a, uh, like a more recent idea when like the, the spark of inspiration hit you? Uh, this one actually has kind of been, it, it's sort of been a, a bug I've had for a long time. When I first graduated high school, I, I had in my head I was going to be a writer and I chased it really hard for about three or four years. And I got to the point where I had a couple of contracts with some really small publishers and the opportunity came up to pitch uh, some stories, but the deal was they only wanted one issue concepts. And I felt really limited by that. I thought like, oh, well, I can't do anything. Because when you're a 19-year-old, 20-year-old writer, you think I'm going to make my 150-issue epic. You know, I'm going to make Moon Knight the greatest guy ever made or something. So you, your ideas are huge, but they're like, no, we just want one issue because if it doesn't work, we don't want to stick with it. Mm. And so f- out of that kind of frustration of feeling like I couldn't do anything is the idea, the concept behind the story of Detective detective Marcus Shitley who is a detective in a city full of superheroes and so he can't really get much done that's a really cool and also just to go to decide on just what a day in the life of what this cop would look like is a great premise for one single issue because you can end up having the time signatures almost be chapters of the day and the different aspects of his life it's uh uh, it's definitely, it's a good structure for one issue of a book where you have a nice beginning, middle and end like you would in a day. Well, thank you. No, I, I, that was sort of the idea is like, what, what would a day look like for a cop? Like when you clock in and clock out, how, you know, how much do you hate your day at that point when like Superman shows up and does all the work and then I'm like, okay, go ahead and file all those shell casings away and, and go arrest them for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got a very, um, it's almost like uh, you, you draw a lot of inspiration from, I mean, you definitely start off in an area with the, 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 the diner robbery and everything like that too. So there is this sort of, um, there's this familiar, this grounded familiar aspect of it. And then there's this very lighthearted aspect of it as well in the tone um, that I really enjoyed from the beginning. Like you use the iconography of like comic books and, Pulp Fiction, the movie, but also Pulp Fiction in general, that kind of thing to create this really cool world and of fun. And uh, like it, it makes the comedy all that more effective in it. 
Well, thank you. And you could just go ahead and do all my reviews for me. From here on out. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, but I, I have a, I, I have a hard time of, I have a hard time cause I just compliment people all the time. Um, but the, the, yeah, I'm sure everyone hates that. <laughs> yeah. They hate it. Yeah. It's awful. My wife, especially. Um, but the, 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 with this world that you were developing sort of, um, well, why did you want to go for a more lighter tone in, in, in dialogue and in, in aesthetic with this instead of going for like the more hard bitten cop in like a Sin City type scenario? Yeah, there were there were two really big reasons for it. One is one is an obvious one, it's budget. Um I didn't have a ton of money when I made it, and so an inker was a step. Listen, inkers are super important. I don't want to get into the whole tracing, not tracing you know, debate. Uh inkers are a big deal, but I, I didn't have a lot of money when I made it, and so mm-hmm. The other part of it was I wanted to be able to go aesthetically as light as possible so that I could go as dark as possible with his job and with his story and just ruin his day as much as possible, but make it funny. And so you got to, there's a lot of little things that people do like in, in stuff that, that help tell a story. There's a, in the, the movie spider, uh, enter the spider verse. There's a scene when miles Morales and they're running from the, when they're running from the lab, and Miles Morales is actually a slower frame rate than all the other yeah. Spider-Men in the scene. And it's because they know what they're doing and he doesn't. And so sometimes you, I think about things like that and I want to try and incorporate more than just telling a reader, you know, hey, this is funny because his life sucks. Like I want to, I want to you know, use the tools that you have at your disposal to, to tell a story. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of good choices in there. Well, thank you. Uh, so with telling a story that is grounded with a, a cop with no superpowers in a world with no superpowers, um, how much were influences like uh, Powers or like Gotham Central? Did you, uh, did you pull anything from, from books like that? Um, sort of backwards, right? Because so I'm 36. So when I first came up with this idea, the first, the first iteration of it, was was before all of that stuff happened. So I had the luxury of having an idea and then getting to see other people do it better than I'll ever be able to do it, right? So you get to see someone like Bendis do stuff with powers and uh, one of the most notable things I remember from that was the was the story about like the groupies we get superpowers by being with the superheroes and stuff like that. Uh, and then when you see something like Gotham Central where it's, you know, the police are sort of in awe and then also sort of afraid of Batman, like there's a lot of different kind of elements that that I got to see other people explore, so it it, it kind of gives it gives you a roadmap of where you don't have to go anymore. Because like the last thing I want to do is try and tell a better story exactly the same way that Brian Michael Bendis does. Like I'm not gonna he's gonna beat me at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the but also you you did a good job of just narrowing it down to one singular focus within the world. You know, yeah. just the one bad day rather than try to work on like, you know, try to really build the world and like, like something like the boys where there's so many rules and like, you know, to that world and how people interact within that world. This it's, it's sort of a nice, simple story where you just lay out, you know, what the one day would look like for this cop whose life basically just sucks. Cause he, these superheroes do his job. <laughs> and, um, how much of the choice in colors were you involved in? Because like everything is so monochromatic throughout the whole thing. There's a lot of warm tones and everything like that. And the only things that really have the bright primaries are, 
are the superheroes themselves. Was that something that you worked out with the colorist or was that something in the script? Um, not as specifically as that, but, but when we would have talks about it, when I was kind of going through the interview process and, and working out who I was going to work with, you know, I, I made a point to be like, you're going to kind of have dual roles of being the inker and the colorist. Uh, but I don't want a lot of shadow or shade. I want it to be very bright. I want it to be, you know, very, uh, I think if I remember correctly, I used the words almost like pastels a couple times and yeah. I don't, I'm not a pastel. I don't know what, I couldn't point out a pastel in a police lineup, but <laughs> I was very like, I know I want like the lighter, softer blends of the colors because I want your eye will tell you a lot. So like if you go to a McDonald's, all the colors are bright reds and yellows and the research will tell you it's because they want you to eat fast and leave. They don't want you to stay, which means that those bright colors are almost offensive to the eye. And right. so you, you want soft colors if you want the eye to kind of be happy and stay in the page. And so that was kind of something I was stressing was that because of, because the story can be dark because it's a cop, right? So like right. all they're dealing with is really the bad stuff of the world. There's mm -hmm. not a lot of, there's not a lot of like fun stories about police. And so you have to, you have to, if you want it to be funny, like Brooklyn nine, nine does a great job of doing like these really bright, well lit, like nothing's ever dark. Like I love law and order. I watch law and order all the time, but there's a lot of scenes that are shadowy. A lot of the crimes happen at night and it's kind of all these different visual cues to tell the eye like this is bad stuff and so you want it if you're doing something where you want it to be funny you have to tell the eye you know don't don't look away it's going to be okay <laughs> yeah exactly and also it helps with the shorter format because you want people to really you know you have only 21 pages to tell a story and you want to make each page count and especially with the uh this leads on to my next question with the, a lot of the timing in this book depends on you taking time to look at each panel. And yeah, uh, there's a lot particularly, of, yeah, I'm sorry. A lot of, uh, sorry. Yeah. There's a lot of conversation between people yeah. that's unseen. Mm -hmm. You know, think I have, I'm, I'm the oldest of four siblings. And so how many times do you have a whole conversation where you say four words, but you're staring at the other one because you're mad at them and you yes. want them to know you're mad at them, but you don't <laughs> want to say I'm mad at you. You want to be like, what happened in the last of the milk? Cause now I can't have cereal. And that you want them to know a lot of things that you're mad about right then and there, but you don't want to say them. So it's, it's stuff like that. And you have to, honestly, I'll, you know, I'll compliment again, Brian Michael Bendis, he, in Ultimate Spider-Man, when that book came out, he did a lot of that where like two characters would, would almost have like a whole conversation between like four panels of looking back and forth. Um, and I, and I totally, I, I fell in love with that idea because it's very real. It's a very real idea of like, Sometimes you just look at someone and you're like, really? Seriously? But you don't say it out loud. And so it is kind of a risk to do it on a page in a comic book. Um, there's a whole page where Blight and Shitely are just like staring back and forth. Yeah. And, you know, Blight's trying to find out if, uh, if the upstanding citizen's boobs are real or not. <laughs> and he's like, I don't really want to go into this, man. And it's driving Blight, it's driving Blight crazy. But he doesn't want to just outright ask because even as terrible as he is, he knows that that's impolite. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of unspoken things that happen between people and you want to try and capture that. Yeah. I love the uncomfortable silence that those pages create. And, um, it, it's very unique in its, in its timing because you have those after he says busy, you have a whole page of silence until he starts clicking on his typewriter 
and then yeah you just have the, the the two panels of him clicking the typewriter and then finally it's punctuated by that question but you know marcus is expecting it when you're when you're creating scenes like that like it like where where does that where does like an idea like that come from for you like uh how do you expand uh, upon like a joke like that visually? i have the worst habit it's probably the most annoying thing in the world where i will run something into the ground with my friends or i'll go on just a huge tangent where like a funny one line will turn into a huge hilarious story for me uh i used to do this bit with my dad we would be sitting in a car and i would tease him uh about uh what the college he went to and was making fun of him for it and i was like yeah i'm sure guys like you just literally just wait for the stop sign to turn green and i would do this bit like where i'm pretending to hold the steering wheel and like waiting (laughs) patiently waiting so then I mess with my blinkers and the lights and all that. And it would get to the point where like that I'm turning the radio. And after like 10 minutes, he'd be like, it's not funny anymore. Like you can <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, no, it's hilarious. And he's like, it's not, it's really not. But so a lot of that just comes from in my head. Every time I see something that's sort of funny, I play it way too long in my head and I've learned that. So now I kind of censor and edit it a little bit, but sometimes it comes out on those pages like that where, there's just something where it just kind of drags forever and you're just like, Oh my God, <laughs> but it happens in the day. So I wanted to keep it honest. So I feel like, uh, I feel like you're doing uh, two great things there. You're doing the, uh, the show don't tell. And if you have ever watched anything that's uh, got a lot of like, uh, like David Lynch where he, he like makes that uncomfortable silence like go on like a like a little bit too long and you you're you're you as a viewer are sitting there and you're watching it and you're like uh what's what's going on here so you you do a little bit of that there in, in the comic which is which is great thank you yeah it's it's you you use gaps and pauses to create expectations uh which is what david lynch does excellent where, where you as an audience member, suddenly you're waiting for something to happen all of a sudden. And even though a scene is just a conversation, suddenly it's really tense because you, you need to know how it ends mm-hmm. and you get invested in it. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a storytelling trick and it is, it's a cheap trick, but it's a fun and easy one. And it, and it works equally well in comedy and in drama. Uh, but it is, it is a moment where you kind of, the reader is expecting something to happen there because there's so much page that mm-hmm. they're just like, uh, and then, it, and then it pays off and you're like, yes. I think that's one of the four key principles of animation is anticipation. I think that's something Chuck Jones talked about with like Looney Tunes cartoons and stuff like that, that in order oh, for those an things action. Were the, those were yeah. so great. The Bugs Bunny yeah. is like the king of timing. Yeah. So in order to like really punctuate a moment or a joke, you got to have that anticipation, you know, I could, that, that makes perfect sense. I totally buy that. Yeah. There was someone else who was saying something really nice about Chuck Jones the other day. Does he, does he do the voices as well for like bugs and Daffy? Yeah. For a good couple bajillion of the shorts he did. Yeah. I think it was Hank, uh, Hank Azalea from the, from the Simpsons who was yeah. like, when Bugs does an impersonation of Daffy and Daffy does the impersonation of Bugs. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, that's the hardest thing as a voice actor to do for one character to be another character and it not sound like you're just mixing two voices. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I'll take, I'll take lessons from the master there when they're, when they're handing them out like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, you got to take it. You got, you got to steal like, like Matt likes to say, you got to steal like an artist, right? Listen, um, 
Pop yeah. culture is just littered with thing after thing after thing where it comes from one place to another. Are you guys reading House of X at all? Oh, yeah. oh. Okay. You're, you're, you're talking to the right podcast there. Yeah. <laughs> First we of all, have I'm a in love whole with section it. of our podcast devoted to House of X right now. <laughs> uh, I am in love with House of X and Powers of Ten. I think Jonathan Hickman might be the smartest writer on the planet right now. Um, We're inclined he- to agree with you. Yeah. When he does the thing with Moira, like it's not the first time that's happened. Edge of Tomorrow, uh, there's a book apparently where some people are like, oh, he ripped off that book. But like that idea has been around forever of the repeating character. You know, Bill Murray's Groundhog Day is, is, a, is a funny version of that same concept. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's about you, you can take anything from something else as long as you have your own thing to say with it and it's okay. Yeah, well, we, we, we reference Edge of Tomorrow a lot when we're talking about House and Powers of X. And um, that's just, a, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to steal from, especially when you're stealing it the right way, you know? Right. So like with your comic, you're, you're, you're no, you know anticipation, you know, pays off after a certain amount of time. You understand how to tell a joke, that kind of thing. And with, with House of X... Hickman understands that you can have a reanimating character, a character that um, reincarnates himself herself, as long as you put limits on it, like they did in Edge of Tomorrow, where it's like, yeah, there are, you can do that only so much until it gets boring. But if you put a limit on it, if you put an exception or like a weakness, you know, Super, Superman's only as cool as he is if Kryptonite's around, that kind of thing. You know, it's like, do you think you, so? You I think have. I think the idea of maybe a limitless Superman is just as intriguing. Oh, yeah. Well, like, if you think about it, like, it, are his villains his villains only because he's, like, holding back and kind of bored? Uh-huh. Like One Punch Man? Like, yeah, sort of, right? Because yeah, that's yeah. what One Punch Man is. Is it's What if Superman right. was just bored with it? And that's One Punch Man. Uh, yeah, the idea yeah. that, like, sometimes this guy can fly into the sun and then other times Lex Luthor beats him at chess. I don't really, <laughs> I don't really believe that. Like, But I think... <laughs> But I think there's Tuesdays when he wakes up and he's like, what do I want to do today? I could fly to Ghana and watch the World Cup or I could uh, go on a date with my wife or I guess I could play chess with Lex Luthor. (laughs) Like, I feel like there's an element of like he wants to be so human that he needs to lose a little bit. I think that's part of it. I don't know. I don't know that he's ever really in any kind of like you're right with the kryptonite. Yes. But without that, like, I don't know there's ever been a time when he's genuinely been threatened. I feel like he just feels bad for everybody. And he's always like, oh, you almost got me. Yeah, that's and that's the that's the paradox of storytelling right there, you know, is that like Matt talks about this. We we, we talk about this on the podcast all the time. We're, we're even going through House and Powers of X and spoilers for the people who haven't read it. But last couple of issues, the X-Men have been dropping like flies, that kind of thing. I got real and sad when they when they when they were up there. And I was like, no, I know. Right. But the thing is, is that like I was really affected by that, too. But we all know, like. Well, they're not going to be gone forever. That kind of thing. It's right, exactly. Like, it's kind of like how Infinity War was last year where I was like, oh no, Spider-Man's dead. That uh, kind of thing. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, he's going to be back. Yeah, he's got a movie. He's got to come yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. But th- at the same time though, that like we are not just like, you know, just to think that like we're, we're in for a story just for the stakes or the plot or something like that. There's so much more that you can do with it. And I, I kind of want to take back what I said about the kryptonite thing because we're not just in in for Superman's story just because he has weaknesses in their world. Like the world is at stake and stuff like that. But, but a lot of people do feel that way. I've got a buddy yeah. who hates Superman because there's nothing he can't do. Right. Like he thinks, Oh, that's the dumbest thing in the world. And I think, I, I don't know. Like if you can do anything, like literally the stories you could tell with that are off the charts. Yeah, but you're right. You're like, in it for, 
the ride. Uh, there's a yeah. great Justice League arc called Obsidian Age. It's one of my favorite of all time. It's Joe Kelly, and uh, it's right after the Worlds at War stuff that they did with oh, like yeah. a pop. And so the Justice League is back together. Aquaman's missing. Um, the Justice League finds a portal in time where Aquaman is. They go back in time, and then they're on Atlantis. They find the the skeletons of the Justice League right after they go through the portal. And it's like, well, obviously they're not really dead. But then the whole book is like the people in the present think the Justice League is dead and they have a replacement league and they're trying to deal with that. And then the Justice League is in the past doing dealing with Atlantis and all that. And it's this crazy story. But yeah, it's a journey because you know, even from the first issue, you know the Justice League is coming back. They didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't give Joe Kelly permission to kill all of DC's greatest her- heroes. Like, they'll be yeah. back. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So like, but there's, there's, yeah, there's just so much more going on when it comes to a story and like characters and stuff like that. And one punch man proved that, you know, you don't have to have kryptonite in a story. You can have a completely invincible character and have like one of the greatest animes, mangas ever, that kind of thing. You know, like it's just, my little brother is anime obsessed and he will tell me that one punch man and my hero academia are two of the greatest shows that have ever been made. And I'm like, do you even know about Invader Zim? <laughs> no, this is the best show ever made. I'm like, all right, fine. Oh, I could talk about Invader Zim all day. Such I, a good I haven't watched the Netflix thing yet. I oh, you gotta, time. man. You gotta. It's... Matt, have you watched Invader Zim? Ever? No, it's a, it's a blind spot for me. <laughs> you, you dig it. It's, 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 it's great. Show. It's also really annoying, but I think that's what's part of the comedy of it is, is all of the characters are awful but yes. somehow the fate of the world is on their hands and you're like, I think I hate them, but yeah. good job. It's, it's, it's always sunny in Philadelphia meets war of the worlds basically. Or, sort of. Uh, yeah, it really yeah, is. Yeah. It really yeah. is. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good tagline. Yeah. Um, so back to your comic, um, how did you, how did you find your, your, your team to, uh, to draw this book for you? Um, honestly, that was like the easiest part is I went to digital webbing and I just put up, ads and i was like you know don't have a big budget really want to get this done um and uh i got really lucky the guys i got to work with on the first issue um that team is not together because this actually this book actually got done a couple years back and i went through the process of submitting it to a lot of publishers and nobody seemed all that interested in it Mm -hmm. um so i kind of had it in the back burner for a long time i was like well i guess i won't make comic books and i kind of moved on to other stuff and then just as I've been in pop culture now and, and like hosting panels at Comic Palooza and doing other stuff, it, it came up the opportunity to, to do it now just for myself. And I went ahead and did it. And so now I've put together a new art team. Um, we're working on the second issue right now. Awesome. We're having, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's, and it's, this guy's a little bit more different. He's a little bit more animated uh, in his style. Um, but I, but I think it, it, it lends to everything because it's, it, it lets me, tell the kind of stories I want to tell and I can go as dark as I want because it looks so fun. Uh, and so it's going it, to, it keeps the balance with the comedy. Cause like if the writing is hard, then the visuals have to be soft to, to otherwise people are just gonna be like, this is a really depressing book. And like, <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of depressing things that sell well. I guess Tori Amos made a career. That, <laughs> oh, shots fired. Yeah. Okay. Tori, come at me. Oh, <laughs> take it. Take it. Tori. Well, she, she, she is a subscriber of this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, she, be ready tomorrow morning to, to every to email. I, I swear to God, if Tori Amos tweets me because of this, I will email you guys like $10 each on PayPal. <laughs> Only 10. All right. Okay. Listen, fine. I'm I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So do you plan on doing, um, 
So how did you, how did, um, have, have you had, does this in print? Like, have you printed out um, there, another day at the office? Yeah, there are some hard copies floating around. I, I did a uh, friends and family kind of a print run. It was about 180 copies. Nice. Um, and then, uh, so my show, North Lake Radio, has a really great relationship with, uh, with the store in Conroe, The Adventure Begins on 1488. Cool. And so they actually have the, they actually carry the book there and I've had to replenish them twice. Wow. Uh, Cause they've sold out. I, I gave them like 10 at first and like, I got an email like a week later and he's like, believe it or not, we're almost empty. And I was like, what? <laughs> uh, so I've had to refill them twice. That's a good feeling. Um, yeah. but it is a little odd digitally. I think is probably the way to go. Like I still have a bunch I've got to get to people. I didn't like never done a Kickstarter or anything. And this wasn't a Kickstarter at all, but like I've never even, wrap my head around the concept of mailing comic books like how much does it cost to do that and so like i charge friends and family five bucks it cost me like three bucks a copy to print and then now mailing is costing me like 225 so i basically oh, like. lost a quarter on every comic book i made so it's a <laughs> lesson learned uh for sure and as i go forward i'm probably just gonna go through like retail and stuff like that with a lot of it just because it's just simpler yeah that makes sense and are you um with the second issue, are you going to do the same thing? Like, are you going to, are you going to pay for it all yourself? Or are you going to put it on a Kickstarter or anything like that? No, no, we're hard at work already. It is, uh, we are, we are grinding away at it. Um, right on that. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with Kickstarters, but I do feel like, I think it should, I think it takes a certain project to be a Kickstarter. Um, I don't know that ongoings really fit the Kickstarter model. I know there's a couple people who do it. Um, one of, one of my favorite, creators that I think people don't know and should know is a guy named Mike Tenner who does Kickstarters. He does a lot of Kickstarters, T-E-N-E-R. He just did one called The Black Jackets. Uh, he's got another one up right now, I think. I'm, I don't know the name of it. Um, but like he, he does these all the time and he, fun, he gets enough money to make like two or three issues of the series at a time. Mm. And then while they're making those, he does the next one and gets those out. You know what I'm saying? But like that's, that's a really smart, hard, yeah. that's a hard way to do it though. Yeah. Um, and so this way is a little bit easier. Um, you know, you just, you work, you work with a lot of people overseas because the economy is different for them. Um, and that's just the truth of it. Uh, yeah. But I'd like to get bigger and do more stuff that, and then, you know, work with some local guys and be able to pay some people's bills and stuff like that. I hear that. I hear that definitely. So with, um, are you pretty active at cons though? Like you say, you do, you do panels and stuff like that. Or are you like uh, local locally? Stuff? Yeah. So yeah. like uh, comic Palooza is the one here in Houston. Awesome. Um, and it's, it's a pretty large one. Uh, this ESPN came and did the college esports world championships at this last comic Palooza. Wow. So just kind of give you an idea of the size of it. George R. Brown is one of the biggest convention centers in America. Uh, nice. and they use all three floors of it for this. So it's a big one. Um, and we host panels. We hosted this year, I think four panels, I think three, wow. three or four. Um, it's a weird thing. Like this all started for fun, you know, for me. And it's, and it's like, it just, the journey keeps going and we keep having a good time and we keep getting different opportunities and new things put in front of us that are just really interesting. Um, and so I can't say no to these things. Like I always, yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds awesome. Um, awesome. It, it, and it's just a, it's, it's a kind of a crazy experience, but it is fun. It's a lot of fun. Do you have, um, so the panels that you hosted, were you like uh, interviewing creators or was it just like discussion stuff uh it was it was a lot it was more discussion stuff it was um so our it was it was because of the show not because of this comic the comic book hadn't come out yet uh it okay. was so one of them was well, 
podcasting like 102. So not just, you know, okay, you, you know, how do you start a podcast? But we've been around for three years. We started as a internet radio show. Then we went to FM radio and all that. So we've got sponsors. We're one of the few, you know, in our area, we're one of the few ones with a steady income from other, like because of our sponsors and how we work and all that. Um, And so um, podcasting 102 was this panel they put together. It was us and the nerdy bitches um, who they've got like a, they're not as big in some ways, but they've got probably one of the biggest Twitter followings I've ever seen in my life. They I've heard of them on social media. Yeah. When they put a tweet out about a million people are going to see it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 have mastered Twitter, which I suck at. I am awful at Twitter. Um, but but yeah, and so it was us, them, and this other uh, podcast. I think it was three guys in a beer or something like that, or two mics in a beer or something along those lines. And basically, we're I guess we're like the vets now, like we're the industry vets, I guess. And so it was like, what do you do next? Booking guests? How do you like? How do you manage content and things like that? And then yeah. we did uh, we did some wrestling ones because uh, that's part of we my co-host loves wrestling and I actually I, I write for sportsmaphouston.com. it's a local sports website and I got my start there covering wrestling for them very awesome cool. so um, what are your plans with this comic are you looking to do like a uh, like a five issue uh, volume that you can collect in a trade because this story lends itself to um continuing and uh you know you have a lot of characters that are introduced in this this first issue so there's a lot of you know story to to be mined here um the next the next story is three issues so i felt like i did a pretty good job with the single issue story kind of introducing things Mm -hmm. so i wanted to see about what would it look like to do a little bit longer story and then i want to go back and probably tell a couple more single issue stories after that um i don't know I think a trade would be great. I think it would de- kind of depend on length, like how long I go after this. And that's going to, you know, it's going to be determined by how it sells and how it does, you know, if it becomes more trouble than it's worth or if something better comes up or if, if this isn't something that I can keep doing, you know what I mean? Like, you know, if two months from now it's kicking my butt and it's, and it's draining and the lights are off and all that, then I guess I got to move on to something else. But, uh, you know, I, I don't have a problem sticking. I love it. I'm having fun with it. So I'll, I'll stick with it as long as it's a, it's a realistic thing to do. That's awesome. So are there any other uh, genres that you would like to explore beyond uh, sort of the uh, everyday superhero or the everyday man living in a superhero world? Oh, I have so many things I want. I, the next thing I want to do, I want to do a, a horror book at the bottom of the ocean. I, I nice. want to, I am obsessed with the idea of like, First of all, I'm scared of dark water and I'm scared of sharks. And uh, anytime I watch one of those movies where they're in like submarines or something and they're filling with water inside, I'm always terrified. I'm always <laughs> like, those people are going to die. Yeah. So I want to do, I want to do a, a story like some sort of horror story at the bottom of the ocean somehow. Uh, but yeah, I've got all kinds of crazy ideas that I'd, it'd be fun to do. Uh, it's just about trying to make them work and, and you know what opportunities come up next. A lot of it I've kind of stumbled into over time. Um, so as long as I can keep stumbling into things, I'll keep doing them. <laughs> I, uh, one time I, I had an opportunity and I made a pilot of a TV show and it was just because we were doing some TV stuff and somebody was like, well, yeah, if you make something and put it together, I'll take a look at it. And I was like, well, then I'll do that. So yeah, as things come up, I'll do it. I'll try it. <laughs> 
It's a great so way to what, live, man. On the edge, constantly. Yeah. So, uh, just touching on that, what are some of the differences between uh, writing for TV and, and and writing for a comic? Um, the first one is I had no concept of what writing for TV was looking like as I was doing it. Mm-hmm. Comic books I've grown up with, so like I really felt like I understood what needed to be in a script for a comic book. But when I moved over to the TV side of it, I really, I didn't, you know, as much TV as all of us watch, I had no idea of what like a, how how it should be formatted. Like, so really the longest scene is the first scene and it's like 12 minutes long. Then the rest of the show fits into the 22 minutes, like the last nine and a half minutes that are left. And there's this huge argument in the first scene that I write that as we're shooting it, we're going back and forth and over and over because it's a lot of lines and the actor's like, oh, hang on, let me try that again. It's like we're doing it over and over. I realize like this scene is way too long. (laughs) (laughs) I I wrote this scene way too long. Um, And it definitely, you know, you wind up realizing you need to shorten things. And the best way to to do, to learn something is to do it is what I'm, is what I've kind of, that's kind of how I, I, learn these things and go on these journeys is you know I'll, I'll start out with i'm not sure but i'll try it you know and then at the end if we're happy with it great and if not well we can always try again you try to have similar pacing like in your comics like we talked about earlier where you have that long drawn out pauses and things like that even on your tv writing and things uh that one i did a lot of uh like cutaway jokes like the office oh, um, okay so the pacing was broken up a lot with that. Like I didn't have to wait and look at the camera like, mm-hmm, cause I could then just cut to someone going, no, that's not what happened at all. Uh-huh. Uh, um, but that, that works when you are well edited and it was, it was a lot of first time people doing stuff. And so like, as we were going through the process, there was a lot of trial and error on like, uh, we might need to tighten that up. There's a lot of dead air there. And like, there was a lot of that going around where like, I think I watched the same. Uh, I, I remember telling my sister when I watched something before we tightened it up, like it was like the rough cut. And I remember telling my sister, I was like, I think I might've made the worst 22 minutes of television ever. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, good job. That's, that's something to brag about. And I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but when you get in and you tighten it and you cut out a lot of that, those gaps, it get it like it, it played a lot better. But the the rough like before everything's cut, so there's just a lot of like spaces and gaps and that. I was like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> it you know, not knowing much about and not having much experience in that field, but just from what I know from film and TV history, you know, there's so much of the filmmaking happens in the edit, especially these days. You know, and having a good editor is the best thing you could ever have for a film. It it was remarkably different from like, so the first thing we did was we just laid out all the scenes in order and then he went back and cut them and tightened it. So the first thing I watch is just all the scenes in order, but, but with all the, these gaps and like, and action. And then we wait three seconds and start, you know what I mean? And so nothing, it feels like nothing works that way. And so, yeah, watching it, the long, the long version like that, I was like, Oh my God, what, what have I done? <laughs> but post edit like when it's tight like that it is so much better it really is yeah before before i did this i probably wouldn't have understood that 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 reality but yeah it's very true it's just it it really is once you edit things it's amazing it's amazing how the editing affects the outcome 
And so with, uh, with both with your writing and with your comics, with your writing for TV and comics, um, are you someone that like you write, you start writing on the script originally, or do you have a lot of outlines and stuff like that before you, you write your script? Uh, I've done things. I've done things all, all the different ways you've ever seen. Sometimes someone suggests something and I'm like, that sounds like the best thing ever. And then I'll sit down and I'm like, well, maybe this isn't for me. But then I've done things like I've done whole outlines, like for a book before, like for a novel idea, did a whole outline. And then when I wanted to start writing it, I was like, actually, this outline is pretty much all I want to do. Like, I don't really even want to tell a story now because I feel like I got it out. Um, And so sometimes that happens and you feel like, for me at least, it it comes in all different forms. Sometimes I'll just do a breakdown of like, so like on a comic script, it's 22 pages. So like I'll, I'll budget the pages like, okay, I want to use four pages to introduce this or I think I can do this in six pages or two pages. And then I'll go in and, and try and hold myself to that budget to tell almost like a bunch of mini stories. And sometimes that is an effective way to kind of rein in what can, like what I was talking about earlier, like my, my long running joke sometimes like, well, you only got four pages, so cut that. Um, <laughs> but some, but sometimes it, there's no wrong way to do something. So, you know, somebody listening to this is like, oh, but I like outlines. Do outlines then. Um, but for me, I kind of, I probably for comic books, mostly I, I budget my pages and then I'll kind of hold myself to that. That's a unique way of doing it. Cause we have, well, we ask a lot of the writers about that kind of stuff all the time, whether, you know, they use outlines or they start writing from prose and then start making a script into things, or they just start writing the script right away and then just make drafts off of that. Budgeting it is a smart idea, especially when it comes to pacing your story. And, yeah, because uh, if you don't yeah. know, because for some people with an outline, they know how long they want to do something. Yeah. Like when you, when you read somebody like Rick Rimder, you know, you know this guy has an idea from start to finish. Yeah. Uh, when you're doing something like comedy, though, sometimes there's not improvisation because it's written and drawn, but there are inspirations that come and you're like, oh, it'd be kind of funny if this happened. Yeah. And so can I work that in but still stay true to my, my budget of the pages? Because um, you want people, I, being a comic reader, I want people to feel like when they read 22 pages that they got something out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't want to feel like somebody read 22 pages and went, okay, but what next? Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's a hard thing to do, especially um, with such a limited page. Like you said, like it's basically like a limited budget, right? Like that's the limit on these, on comics. You know, people say it's like making a movie with an infinite budget and it's all, you know, it's just limited by your imagination and stuff like that. But there is a budget and it's pages. And I've never really thought of it that way because you only have so much time to tell your story. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you're There's, someone like Art Spiegelman who has no limit and, you know, just forever. <laughs> there, there is a trade-off yeah. on all things. You're right. So there's no budget. You could build the world's biggest, you know, spaceship and, and, and the greatest story ever. But at the end of the first issue, were you able to explain your concepts that are relevant? Did you, did you, did you show the reader a good time? You know, did you give them their $3, $4 worth of entertainment? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what's important and sometimes for some people sometimes the art is enough like they can take all six issues to tell one story because the art is so pretty that no one's even mad at them you know they just won't show me more pages that look like this you know um but sometimes you also because i'm just a writer i, f- I feel like my obligation is to give them as good as i can for those 22 pages 
No, that's that's definitely a uh, a good philosophy. Uh, do you have like uh, endpoints in mind when you start outlining, or you start with a story, or do you start with like the the kernel of an idea, and then you um, you you build from you build from there? Yeah, you definitely you know. So like, I have on another idea I'm working on. I've got like the big major story points, like the plot points that okay. I, this happens then this like a goes to b goes to c mm-hmm. and i know that like okay those need to happen over you know 10 or 20 issues so then that means when i'm building my budget there's like a list of things that have to happen in every issue right so like okay i need to make sure i show character a dealing with this issue so that i can keep touching on it throughout the rest of the story you mm-hmm. know so okay how many pages is that going to take okay it might take two or three okay Maybe I can work that in with something else, and that way I'm I'm saving all my pages. So stuff like that. Um, you, you, there are the big elements that you always want to be aware of and, and work in if you're telling a larger story. Um, with another day at the office, it's not that complicated. It, it's it's a lot more organic and fun because okay, even on this one, okay, I have three issues that I want to tell a story. Um, so that means by the by the third issue, I need to have finished everything but I don't have to introduce a lot of new stuff because mm-hmm. the first issue did a, a pretty good job of introducing a lot of my core ideas and concepts. So I get to just kind of carry those through. Very cool. So um, I feel like we, we've done a uh, good coverage of the comic and the, and the process. Do you have any, do you have like a bit of advice for anybody who wants to um, make a comic or anybody who wants to get into to, to writing in general? Absolutely. I, I tell everybody to just do it. And I know, listen, I'm, I'm trying to break in myself and I'd love to get paid to be a, a comic book writer all, you know, full time. And I know that's the most frustrating thing to hear from the people that you see creating is, you know, someone tells you, oh, just do it, just do it. But I say this all the time on Earth Thug Radio that we live in this golden era of, of technology and entertainment mm-hmm. where anybody has the ability to create content right now and we can and we can share that content with so many people and give so many people the opportunity to enjoy our content we're only limited by our imaginations right now and what's going to happen over time is the companies that are involved in this googles and youtubes and facebooks they're going to put up more and more and more paywalls and they're going to put up more and more obstacles to overcome and it's going to get harder and harder to be this like free outlaw creative outlet that we're all enjoying right now and so i tell people to just start start yesterday because every day you wait is going to make it a little bit harder down the road to keep doing this and so i do think that there's going to come a time when starting podcasts won't be free when starting shows like this won't be free anymore and there'll be all these huge costs like you guys are using zoom uh, to do this at some point the cost on zoom will triple and it'll be like a subscription service or something. You know what I mean? Like there's always going to, and while there always will be free ones you can use, they'll have like pay upgrades and things like that. It'll get really mm-hmm. expensive to do what we're doing now on such limited budgets. Yeah. But I think, I think your advice to uh, get started and to the, the best way to learn how to make comics is to, to make comics is, is something that we've heard. We've heard uh, numerous times. So yeah, good advice. It, it, everyone says it, and I know internally when you're when you're that person who wants to be the creator, you're like, "Ugh, it's not what I want to hear," and it's not what you want to hear. You want to hear like 
that there's this place that you go and they sprinkle something on it and suddenly you're a comic book creator. But the reality is, yeah, man, you find a guy who can draw or if you can't draw, you draw little stick figures and you just like, you just keep working at it. And it, and it organically, the more you, the more you work at something, the more it comes back to you in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and and not, not in some weird, the secret spiritual mythical, put it on your dream board kind of way, but like in a, you start talking to more creators. They start talking to you. You start talking to these people. They start talking to you. And suddenly there's like this feedback loop and suddenly there's these opportunities. And then that person becomes an editor and suddenly they've been talking to you for two years and they know your ideas and they like your storytelling. And suddenly you have an opportunity to pitch somewhere that didn't exist two years ago. And it happened because you started creating, but also because you were pursuing it and talking to people and working with people and building those relationships and, and being a good person is a part of it too. I think I think no one says that, and probably everyone should say that. We need to. We always need to make sure we're being good people to everybody. Yeah, I was thinking about that when when you were when you were talking that, uh, uh, you know, uh, while you're out there making, you're you're supporting other people who are making, yes. um, and uh, you know, you're building that community, and uh, it's it's much like the the corporate world. Like it's it's unfortunately it sometimes boils down to it's not uh it's not like what you do it might sometimes boil down to who you know so you know oh, as, long 100%, as, you, as long 100%. as you're as long as you're out there you're being a good person you're making you're you're supporting other people who are who are who are making it it it, it could come back to you um somewhere down the line definitely i have a buddy of mine who's he's brilliant and he's great uh he works in corporate finance and when he got his, when he got his like first big job out of college, they, they, you know, he's, he's got his big degree and he's, he's all proud of himself and he's thrilled. And you know, the way their job is structured is very kind of laid back and oh, you only have to make sure you're here at the core hours of the day. So we all get the work done together, but come and go as you please and all that. And he's banging it out. He's turning in great reports and he's super proud and he's taking on extra work from other people. And he finds out like nine months in, that the boss doesn't even know who he is oh, wow. because he's not doing any of the, the social, the little things, the interactions. And I was like, yeah, man, it's not about just showing up to work and, and doing a great job. His name, he has a, he has a feminine last name. And so I guess on their inter office, like messaging system, it puts last name first. So his boss had in his head that the person who was turning in all those reports was a female. Oh, wow. So didn't even know what his job was within the team. Like, and it was simply a matter of like, he wasn't doing the interactions to put a name to a face. So he's out there doing a great job, but nobody knew he existed. Wow. That's heavy. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta work with people and it's more, yeah. world is a people place. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So uh, Noah, do you have any uh, final questions as we wrap up here? No, I'll, I'll, I'll let him go, but it's been awesome talking with you and it's been great to hear your process and also just to hear your inputs on pop culture. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to give your podcast a listen to. Yeah. Thank you. And, and let me, before we go, I want to ask you guys one thing, like how did y'all get started with this? This seems like a really cool with you guys going back. Do you guys, is it sometimes just the two of y'all that go back and forth? Yeah. And then you guys like, and then sometimes you bring on other guests and all that. This is, when did y'all start this? This is great. So Interesting story. Uh, Noah and I used to live in the same neighborhood, and uh, how I old was, were y'all then? Well, I'm much I'm much older than Noah, but oh, okay. uh, uh, I was I was taking my my kids to the uh, to the community swimming pool, and I was going to to sign everybody in, 
and Noah was the guy who um, signed everybody into the community swimming pool. And he was sitting there and he was, he was drawing a comic. So nice. I was like, I was like, Hey, what are you, what are you drawing? And uh, he, you know, he showed me some of the pages and, and then ever since then we've been, uh, we've been making comics together and uh, I had the idea for the podcast and uh, it never really sort of took off, but Noah was the one to give me the, uh, give me the push to, uh, to actually uh, get started on it. So that's, that's, that's sort of our origin story. Yeah. That's I'll awesome. take credit for everything. It was awesome. yeah, no, yeah, why <laughs> yeah. not? Yeah. He no. gave it, he, he handed that yeah. one up too. Oh, easy. thanks Matt. Yes, I did. I did it all. Matt was just, just <laughs> lost in a storm and like, you know, just, just, well, like, you know, he was drowning and I pulled him out. <laughs> well, open life. Re- related story. I was, uh, I was, walking around with with my daughter the other day and she was like if i never took you to the swimming pool that day you would never you would never have your friend noah and i'm like that's ah, kind of true uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys chaos. you guys you guys owe her everything yeah, yeah. Chaos, chaos theory from a seven-year-old so. uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but I, i'm really lucky that matt matt and i we hit it off the way we did and we we love comics but love talking about comics for hours on end so we just decided to record our, our conversations and it's it's more of us we just love doing this stuff and it's we we, we drove to north carolina eight hours last year oh man we talked about comics the whole time on the way there <laughs> like it was like and then all the way back we talked about it so like see that sounds awesome i would love that yeah we were inevitably it was inevitable that we would make a podcast where we'd force other people to listen to us talk about that kind of stuff so our stuff is all audio like we don't do video and like I've done a couple of interviews now for the book and everyone's been so generous. But the one thing I always think about is I can see behind you guys and like the serial killer in my head is always like, someone's going to come in while they're doing this and just get them. <laughs> I don't know why, but I think it every time I do one of these now where I'm just like, like I would warn you, don't get me wrong. I would warn you. I'd be like, oh, Red shirt, look out, look out. But it would be, you know, there's a delay. So it might be too late. I don't know. I just think it every time I do these now, like I see in the background, I'm always like, it's so weird that I can see into these people's houses. Yeah. <laughs> well, so yeah. Um, before we go and you mentioned that you have a podcast, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you and, and find your podcast uh, online? Yeah, it's uh, nerdthugradio.com, uh, then facebook.com backslash nerdthugradio. Uh, and so, yeah, come check us out. We, we, we try to have fun. We're pop culture two days a week, and then I also do a sports show for one day a week. And so we're also on the air in Conroe on 104.5 and 106.1. Cool. Very cool. We will put links to that in our, our in our show notes. So uh, we had a uh, we had a great time uh, talking with you, um, and I want to thank you again uh, for being on. If uh, anybody wants to give us a follow, we are on Twitter at Construct Compod. We are on Instagram at Constructing Comics Pod, and we are on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Constructing Comics. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel that is under the same name of Constructing Comics, where sometimes we do some of our more visually uh, heavy episodes, uh, creator spotlights and, and the like. And uh, uh, we'll have links to our social media and Corey's social media and in the show notes for this episode. I'd like to thank everybody for listening and just encourage everybody to go out there and uh, make some comic books. And uh, we'll be back with a, another episode uh, very soon. Thank you.